this series. So over the course of the year, FGA, we cycle through the five-fold ministry, right? So we've got prophetic series. We did Pentecostal. We've got, um, we've got pastoral-type series. We did the generations. And then we have teaching-oriented series. Uh, this is one of them. And um, today, I've actually said to Scott, like, and I'm hoping with this whole series, we, we look at the deep end of this. And uh, it's a real privilege. M- most of us won't get the opportunity to sit in Scott's lecture at Ridley College, you know, hearing basically what I think is world-class um, theology, right? Uh, Scott um, has, speaks a range of languages, has like a range of degrees, um, studied under, you know, Graham Cole, uh, teaching assistant to D.A. Carson, published several books, probably helped author um, must be like a dozen more, really, right? Um, uh, really, probably the smartest guy I know. Um, and, um, and so having him here to unpack, he, he does Christian thought in, at Ridley. So having him here to kick off our series, I think, is, is going to be so fantastic. He's got handouts out for everybody. It's going to be like a theology lecture. But cooler, um, and so can you join me in welcoming Scott? Thank you very much. Um, so I'm here today to talk about ethics, um, but we need to begin by orienting ourselves and thinking about why is it that we want to live in a certain way. And I'm going to let God give us that orientation as I ask you to stand up. And we're going to hear from God, Psalm 25, where he gives us a psalm to pray that we might be the kind of people that he desires. So if you'd like to close your eyes, I'm going to read portions of Psalm 25 over us to focus us on God, his instruction, his forgiveness and his ways. Lord, I appeal to you. My God, I trust in you. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithful love. For they have existed from antiquity. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my acts of rebellion in keeping your faithful love. Remember me because of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and upright. Therefore, he shows sinners the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decrees. Guard me and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame. For I take refuge in you, Lord. May integrity and what is right watch over me. For I wait for you. God, redeem your people from all its distresses. Amen. What a great prayer. Please have a seat. Well, today I'm here to talk about ethics and how we go about 
deciding right and wrong. Ethics is about moral thinking. Ethics is thinking morally about issues. That is, what are the dimensions to do with a particular issue, to do with who we are as people, and how it involves following God. And that's why I prayed this prayer to begin our session today. Ethics is all about following God's ways in the world. And that means that when we start thinking about ethics, we need to ask some big questions first. Where does ethics fit in into a Christian worldview? I'm going to do that in a minute. We're going to think about the big picture. And secondly, we need to clarify what are the principles at work in Christian ethics. And I'm going to go through three. And here they are, and they all start with C. So I'm making this easy for you. It's commands. Christian ethics includes commands. So, you know, be faithful, be loving. It also includes character, who you are as a person. God wants us to be certain kind of people. And Christian ethics also involves thinking about consequences, okay? So that's where we're going to go today. The big picture, I'm then going to go through commands, character, and consequences. We're going to do some practical examples. And um, I'm going to wrap up in about 40 minutes or so, and then we're going to continue this in the seminar over lunch, okay? So that's where we're going today. Great. Okay. Um, Firstly, let's begin with the big picture. Well, today we've been singing about God's glory. We had your wonderful pastoral prayer around communion. It was all about God's glory as well. And that's where Christian ethics begins. The word glory in the Bible means weightiness, significance, The glory of God is about his significance, his massiveness, his importance. And human beings are made in God's image to point each other to God's greatness. That's what a human being is. Somebody who points towards God's greatness. We are made in God's image And Genesis is very clear about that. God says, let us make them in our image, okay? So if you are a human being here today, have we got some humans? Yes? Yeah? Great. You too. Okay, good. Surprise me, but okay. Um, We have many human beings here today. And you know what? We're used to seeing them. So we don't think they're a big deal. But when I say, hey, you know what? You remind me of someone. Guess who that is? You remind me of God. Okay, we should remind each other of God because there are three things that are unique about human beings. We have the kind of creative power that is above all creatures, and that's one way we reflect God. God makes Adam and Eve, and He says, Till the garden, name the animals, expand the garden. Humans have this incredible creative power. And the ability to turn fallow fields into buildings like this. We play the bass. We do incredible things. And that's why ethics matters. Because how you use your power is key. You guys know what's happened in Hollywood, right? These last two weeks, it's all come out. 
all these guys that have been abusing their power and their status, they've been using their influence in wrong ways to get sexual favors, it's all come out. That's what happens when you use the powerful aspect of being an image of God in the wrong way. That's why ethics matters. Human beings need to live up to our calling to be God's images and use our creative capacity well for the good of others and to point to what kind of God God is. God is not a God of disorder. He is not a God of chaos. He is not an abusive God. He is the God who brings life. Think about what he does in the Garden of Eden. It's all about flourishing. And there were birds, and there was fish, and there was life. There was fruit to eat. It's all teeming with life. He brings about a culture of life. So when God gives you power and he gives you influence as a human being, he wants you to pursue a culture of life, not a culture of death. So Christian ethics is about living up to our identity as images of God and reflecting him so that others might live fully and thereby know God. We are made in God's image and we have incredible power. We're made in God's image as relational beings as well. You know, in the garden, what God loves is to walk with Adam and Eve. He gives Adam a name. He calls him. He calls him into a kind of a relationship, a special kind of a relationship. It's a relationship of promise keeping. God says, you can have everything. Rule in my name. Just don't eat of the fruit of this tree, okay? Because if you do so, it's going to ruin our relationship. God is a God of relationship. And he gives people the freedom, the free will to choose for him, to choose rightly in a relationship. The problem is humans don't reflect the relational aspect of being an image of God. You know what they want? They want more. They want more. Think about what Satan offers them in the garden. You're not going to die if you eat the fruit. Don't believe that you will die. He will not judge you and you won't die. In fact, if you eat of the fruit, you can become... Like him, you'll become like gods, choosing good and evil, bringing about good and evil of your own. And that's the problem with human people having free will. They choose more for themselves instead of choosing more glory for God. And guys, that is where ethics is found. In this difficult tension of being people, all of us have the ability to choose. Yet within us, there's this disposition to want more. More sex. More money. More influence. More of me. More of me time. More of what I like. That's the impulse within. 
But we know that what we should be choosing is a culture of life, bringing life to others, and glorifying God. So that's where Christian ethics is found. Giving God the glory and together as communities, being communities of life that choose for him. So that's the big picture. Let's think about Christian ethics after the fall. So after human sin in the garden, we are in this land of affliction, this very difficult world outside the Garden of Eden. And it's a world that is rotting. It's a world in which there are many cultures of death where people don't want to reflect God, but they want to reflect their own desires. And they try to set up power relationships so that they can get what's best for them. But there's hope. And this is another very important aspect of Christian ethics. Is that Christians who act morally are part of the hope of the world. Christian ethics is about serving God, bringing Him the glory that people might recognize Him, but it's also part of being an image of God. Because God doesn't give up on His images, right? If God is going to rescue the world, who do you think He's going to do it through? He's going to do it through His images, right? That's fitting. It makes sense. They're the ones He created in the first place to have meaningful capacity in creation. So that's why, if we want to go to Matthew, we see that Jesus says to his disciples, you are two things that are going to preserve life in the world. You are salt and you are light. And this is the ethical great commission. Salt stops meat from rotting. And in a rotting world... Christians are called to be salt, to preserve that which is good. We all know that there's much that's good in many, many cultures. And there's much that's good in the world. And God wants to preserve the good in the world until the day that he returns. And then we will see good in its greatest form in the new heaven and the new earth. But till that day, we have a job. It's to be involved. It's to be the salt that preserves the world. And it's also to be the light. To be the light in the world, to guide others towards what is true. And it's very interesting. If you turn uh, to Matthew 5, in verse 13 we have, You are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, Jesus speaks about being the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, and this is why, this is why, okay, so that they may see your good works and... Give glory to your Father in heaven. So there are deep connections between being made as someone who's to glorify God, the kind of actions that we do in the world. These are good actions that are light 
that point to the goodness of God and being made in the image of God. So guys, we never lose our job as being images of God who are supposed to work meaningfully in the world for the glory of God. That idea is there from Genesis all the way through to the very end. And you know what? When we read in the book of Revelation, it says that all the treasures of humankind are taken into heaven by the human kings. Everything that's great about culture will be there in heaven. We are going to keep on having great cultures and the best of what human beings do for eternity. There is a great future for us in eternity that deals with the best of humans, the best of God's images, for the glory of God. So we have an ongoing God and an ongoing future with Him, which is to participate in the best of the best. So the big thing with ethics, guys, if you're thinking about how to make decisions, what your inner attitude towards things should be, it needs to line up with being an image of God who pursues the best so that God might be known. Does that make sense? Okay. And just so you know, it's not from me. Let's go to the Great Commission, and you'll find this in Jesus' own teaching. If you'd like to go to Matthew 28, verse 18 and following. Matthew 28, verse 18 and following. Matthew 28, 18 and following. Jesus came near and he said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always until the end of the age. So what we have there is Jesus calling images of God to be disciples, to be the best form of human beings. How do you do this? Well, you follow his teaching and you do so with a new identity. I am a disciple of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. And that identity means I want to follow God's ways. And I know what they are because we have four Gospels that records Jesus' life and teaching. And guess what? It is not just up to you. You are a disciple in a community and God, through His Spirit, is with you. I am with you always till the end of the age. This is huge. My son and I used to do kendo. And we had to, you know, go up grades to become good and sit through exams and all this kind of thing. It was all about us having to be good or, in my case, not very good. I had no Holy Spirit to help me particularly with kendo. Well, of course the Spirit was with me, but, you know, there was no one really to help me with kendo. But with being a disciple of Jesus, an image of God, who can meaningfully follow Jesus' ways in the world, you have the same Spirit that brought about creation. So you're not abandoned to have to follow this moral teaching. And just as well, because we can't, and we showed that in the Garden of Eden. 
And on top of that, we have God's mercy. Did you notice in Psalm 25 that the one who seeks to follow God's ways is the one who asks God to forgive his sins? Because we acknowledge we can't always do it. And that doesn't mean hiding. And it doesn't mean pretending. It means coming before God and acknowledging your sins and saying, please particularly wipe away the sins of my youth. I have done some incredibly painful acts and have had terrible attitudes. Lord, forgive me, renew me so that I might be a moral person and be an ethical person that preserves the world, brings light to the world by pointing people to God's greatness. Lord, forgive me, and I trust that you will. So Christian ethics, guys, isn't just about living up to a standard. It's living into a relationship with God where you discover what it is to be an image of his, which is to be a disciple. It's a relationship in which there is mercy, there's forgiveness, there is presence, but there is requirement, and that is that you be a world preserver, that you manage the incredible influence that you have as an image of God. It's a big deal being an image of God, guys, and we need to manage it well. So, guys, that's the big picture of where ethics, moral thinking and moral acting, where ethics fits within a Christian worldview. It's about being consistent with our identity, doing good to preserve the world for the glory of God. Now let's work a little bit more down into the specifics. And what we need to do here is think about that ethics is deeply connected with the kind of person that you are. I'm going to get to commands and consequences in a minute. But Jesus' real focus with Christian ethics is acting out of the overflow of your heart. You guys know this well. It's out of the overflow of our heart that dark things come. Adultery, foul speech. Jesus tells the Pharisees, it's not what's on the outside that makes you unclean. It's what's on the inside. But guess what? If God's Spirit is in you, suddenly we find in Jesus' teaching that there is a call to pray the Lord's Prayer. Suddenly we can go from people who are about ourselves, who bring out bad fruit, Ooh, all of a sudden I can be someone who brings out good fruit as salt and light, and I can pray. I'm being transformed here. Who I am and my character is in a process of transformation. I want to dig into that by looking with you, and I'd appreciate it if you'd turn with me, to Matthew 5. And we want to think about the kind of person that Jesus wants us to be. And if we're this person, we will then think ethically. Okay? So, let's think about the kind of person. So, we're thinking about character here that Jesus wants us to be. Jesus says, blessed are, and then there's a whole list of the blessed. By blessed, 
It means happy are those, and it also means helped are those. So these people are happy because they're enabled by God to be, firstly, they're poor in spirit. They acknowledge they need God's help. They're people that can stop when you're faced with a moral issue and pray and say, God, I need your help. I need your instruction. I need your ways. That is the beginning of having the kind of character that God wants in his people. I'm going to stop here. I'm not just going to download, you know, Game of Thrones and watch it without thinking. I need to stop here. Is this the kind of thing I really want to do? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They know that there is a kingdom of heaven in which God is working out his good Blessed are those who mourn. Christian ethics is about recognizing what's wrong. Christian ethics is entirely a realist perspective. It's recognizing where there is a lack of justice in this world. I grew up in Argentina, as some of you know, and everybody was too afraid to speak about the injustices in the world because of the military government. And when the military government fell, only then could people recognize what was wrong in the world and then do something about it. Guys, we're so fortunate living here in Australia. There is a huge degree of transparency and we can recognize injustice when we see it. And we need to first lament. We need to know that God is the God of life and then recognize injustice for what it is. So blessed are those who mourn. Being an ethical Christian isn't about being happy. It's about being comforted. It's about knowing who you go to for God-like comfort. God's comfort is the comfort of the God who has begun to change this world. And not all problems will go away. But he can, and he's shown us through the resurrection, he can make a huge difference in the now. And it's up to him. But it's to trust that he can change situations. I had a terrible situation a few years ago. And I trusted that he could bring turnaround. And I prayed into it. And I lived into it. And I saw him change a terrible injustice that had been done. And he brought forgiveness and reconciliation. And justice and peace and Christian unity was pursued. Not by ignoring the issues, but by dealing with them, dealing them well. And you know, that issue is now over. There is even a legal document between the people involved in that conflict. And the final uh, line says that this conflict has been dealt with. There is nothing else to go into and no more conversations to be had. Because justice has been met. Recompense, repair, reconciliation and repentance. All done. You can do that. If you are ethical and you want to make sure that people know what's going on, you comfort each other by acting rightly. Jesus wants us to be humble. Yes, they will inherit the earth. The humble will inherit the earth because they are God's people. God is the God who brings down the proud. That's just the way it is. If you get to know the Bible, those who set themselves up against God set themselves up 
for failure. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. I like the Bible. It's very much about common sense. Be humble. Sit down. Be humble. <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn and hunger for righteousness. Again, it's those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. Righteousness, all it is, means acting rightly, doing the right thing by, having the right interests for other people, doing the right thing before God. That's what righteousness is. That's what moral purity is. And ethics pursues righteousness, right relationships governed by justice and love. So God wants you to be just, to be fair, give people a fair go, and to be loving at the same time. He wants you to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful, because we're not always going to get it right, especially in the realm of ethics and relationships. I'm married, I have an extended family, I'm actively involved in my own church. You know what? Relationships do fall apart. They do fall apart. And there are many times that we have to be merciful, guys, and not demand what we think is required. Mercy actually qualifies justice, if you look at the book of Isaiah. God's justice is that all those who sin should die. But he qualifies that in mercy by offering himself as a just sacrifice on our behalf. Justice is qualified by mercy. So be merciful in your ethics because you're not going to get it right. I'm not going to get it right all the time. Let's be a community of mercy. I'm not saying let's wash over issues but deal with them justly, speak the truth, and be merciful. It's such a better way forward, guys. And this is all about your character. And we need to pray that we will become these people. Because the thing with ethics is, it's about how Dante and I treated the guy uh, where we bought coffee this morning on our way here. Ethics is all about the little things. The small actions you never really think about, but you just do. And that's why character matters, because you act out of a character. You, that's just who you are. And you need to pray that God is shaping and molding your character so that when you act without thinking, the act is an ethical act. Yeah. So you've got to have a foundation in a good character. Well, it's no surprise that God blesses those who are pure in heart. Just as God is ethically pure, he wants you to be pure in heart. And this is why Jesus intensifies the teachings of the Old Testament. Jesus is like, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder. Jesus also intensifies the command to do with adultery. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you the truth. If you lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery. God wants you to be pure of heart, to have pure attitudes towards others. When I look at a woman, I'm not seeing a sexual object. I am seeing a sister in Christ. Yes, she's female, but I'm seeing a sister in Christ. I'm seeing her as a disciple. I'm seeing her as someone who's 
formed in a community who was once a little girl, who will once be an older woman. I want to see the full picture of who a woman is, not just reduce her to a sexual object. Imagine what communities that are pure in heart look like. Well, I tell you what, you've got some really good glimpses here at FGA, so keep it up. Okay, God blesses the pure in heart because they're like him. You're reflecting his moral capacity. And blessed are the peacemakers, and here's the kicker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Now, the language of sons is very deliberate. In the ancient Near East, to be a son means to have your character formed by or shaped by. doesn't necessarily mean biological son. So there's a bunch of idiots in the Old Testament. They're called the sons of Belial. It just means sons of stupidity because that, that's what those guys were like. And, and the stories about them, they're just idiots. They're just meatheads, okay? So they're sons of meatheadedness. But if you want to be a son of God and reflect who God is, you need to be a peacemaker and pursue righteousness. And here's the thing. If you're a son, you inherit the kingdom. Okay. You have the dignity of being an image of God. You are also an heir to the kingdom. Represent the kingdom. Have the kind of character that when you step into a room, people know your brand is the kingdom of heaven. Represent the brand. Represent the kingdom of heaven as an heir to this kingdom. This is my kingdom that I belong to, God's kingdom. And it's not going to end when I die. I'm part of it now, and it's going to go on and on and on. So I'm going to represent. Okay? Maybe I have to wait in a line for a while. I'm not going to cut in. I'm not going to be a jerk. Maybe I'm going to take some, you know, unfair words from people, and I'm not going to give them the finger straight away. You know, it just, it just causes you to have a different kind of character and not to pursue your own ends. So character. Well, let's move now to the next slide, and we're going to talk about commands. Great. Commands, character, and consequences, and then I'll wrap up in about 10 minutes. So don't worry. We'll have part two after lunch. Okay, so let me be very clear. Most Christian ethics is very simple because we have lots of commands in the Bible. What are some commands you can think of? Can somebody think of a command? Do not kill, yes? Love one another, yes? Another command? Honor your parents, yes? Love the Lord, great. Don't have false gods before me, yes? Over here? All the good stuff's been said, yes? Okay. From the youth, from the youth, give me a command. What is a great command? From God. Love your neighbor. That's the center of the law. That's what it's all about. So let's take love your neighbor. Very good. Very. What's your name, buddy? Vincent? All right, Vincent. Yeah. Okay. Let's take Vincent's law. Okay. Love your neighbor as yourself. In most ethical situations, we're very well covered so love your neighbor means that when you're engaging with someone who isn't your natural um, kin, 
someone who's at a distance from you, or even someone who is your own kin, you deal with them lovingly, you think about their best interests, what action is most likely to bring about the best result for them as a human being and as a disciple? So whether it's do I take cash in hand, whether it's do I sell my car for a fair price, love your neighbour is a really good rule. Then we had lots of other rules. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, and they make most of life very simple. And in fact, 98% of ethics is very straightforward. I've been out to Yum Chow a few times. Actually, it's one of the things I like about coming to FGA. I always get lunch. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so whenever we go out to Yum Chow uh, with Chris or with Pastor Roland, they always pay. Okay? Because do not steal is a fundamental Christian command. So what I'm saying is Christian ethics most of the time is very, very simple. The only times it's a little bit tricky is if you have to choose between two competing good things. For example, work is a good thing. Humans are made to work. Okay? Working in the Garden of Eden, not a problem. Work isn't a sinful thing. It's a good thing. But then so is having a family. Okay? Whether you're married or unmarried, have kids or no kids. Being part of a family is a good thing too. And sometimes what happens is you have ethical situations where you need to choose between two good things. Do I commit myself to my work for this week? And this is true. I'm heading off to Boston next Saturday. I've got a whole lot of stuff for Boston, but I also want to spend time with my family, and I should spend time with my family. I have to choose between extra work for Boston and my family. I'm choosing between two good things. Does this make sense? So what you need to do in those situations is choose the higher good. What's the higher good? It's your relationships in that situation. How do I know that? It's because in the Garden of Eden, you've got the seventh day, which is about rest. Rest and relationships qualify work. Okay, we can have a whole seminar on all this. But work is qualified by rest and relationships in the Garden of Eden. Okay? So when you're choosing between two goods, seek the higher good. No problems. Sometimes... With ethical um, commands and rules, we have to choose the least of two evils if you're in a bad situation. Think about the Christians who, who plotted to kill his, Hitler. Classic example, right? They go, okay, we need to kill this guy because he's killing hundreds of thousands. Killing one person is better than letting him continue to kill and 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 kill, and kill, and kill okay? We know, though, and this is very important, we know that killing is bad. But in this situation, it's the lesser of two evils. So sometimes Christians have to choose something they know is wrong in order to prevent a greater wrong. If someone is trying to rape my wife and I assault them physically... It's still wrong for me to assault them. But I will do it because it's the lesser of two evils. Does that make sense? So if you ever have a clash in some rules in Christian ethics, think about can I choose the higher of two goods or can I choose the lesser of two evils here? That's often a very good way. I've spoken about character theories. Who am I by acting or not acting in this way? Let's take the example of... Um, let's say, watching Game of Thrones, that, that TV series. Very violent, very sexual, okay? Um, very degrading 
of human beings. You need to ask yourself, who am I becoming by watching this show? What kind of a person am I developing into if I watch it? Am I more likely to become loving and just or less likely to becoming loving and just? Am I more likely to treat people richly and well or less likely? I'll give you another situation. Uh, My son and I went to a tournament uh, about a month ago. We're standing at the lights and we see this elderly gentleman in those like Porsche-like scooters. You know the really good ones you see now? He was just whipping up the hill towards Marinda Highway, just driving this thing so fast. I remember saying to Dante, check out that guy. See how fast he's going. He was going so fast he didn't stop at the lights and he went straight into the traffic. Okay? The thing goes flying. He goes flying. He's pinned under it. Okay. So Dante and I, we just ran over, um, helped him out with some other people, got him up, like scooped him out of there because there was traffic everywhere. Now, who do you become by doing that kind of thing? Well, you're the sort of person that helps others. You're like a good Samaritan, right? So that's great. The thing is, afterwards, and this really got me, there was a guy in bow repairs just behind us where it all happened, and he was just standing there, and he goes, oh, yeah, I saw everything. Yeah, yeah, you did the right thing, guys. Yeah, good on you. (laughs) Dude, who have you become by doing nothing? By doing nothing, you also become someone, okay? So, guys, hold fast to being made in God's image. Have the character that leads you to act, to become an heir of God, someone who properly fits into the kingdom. So with character, you need to think about, who am I becoming by watching porn? Who am I not becoming by doing certain acts? You need to think it through. The third aspect has to do with consequences, Whenever you're thinking through a moral issue, you must think about the consequences. And this begins with, is there another way? I I talk about this a lot with the young adults at church who are massive downloaders of all kinds of shows. They have to watch the show right now and it's, it's not available in Australia. Or they can't afford a stand subscription. Or they can't afford Apple TV. And I'm like, just wait. Just wait. Do you have to consume this show right now? Really? Maybe you can work an extra shift at Macca's and pay for it rightfully. Maybe you can just wait, watch something else. Because you never know the outcomes of what you're doing. It's funny how life works out. You get involved in all sorts of things and they do catch up with you. And the problem with consequences is they're very unpredictable. So if I was you, I would line up my actions, my thoughts and my attitudes with those things that are more likely to end well. You're much better off registering for GST, handing out proper invoices and having no concerns when it comes to tax time because you just don't know how it's going to roll if you try to play it under the table. Okay? Play it straight, play it safe because life is unpredictable enough. So that's consequences. And ask yourself, are my actions promoting the kingdom, relationships and justice? If I don't pay tax, am I promoting justice? 
with respect to funding schools, funding police, funding ambulances. I'm not acting justly at all if I evade tax. I'm not being just. So that's not a cool outcome. Okay. Christian ethics is challenging when you try to be consistent. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap this part up now with a prayer. And then we're going to continue after lunch. And my final point is that there's a very deep prayer that the psalmist prays. And he says, Lord, search me and know me. Find no iniquity in me. If you want to have a fresh, life-giving, wholesome relationship with God, if you act ethically, when you pray, you're not going to have a dark conscience, stained by guilt. So I'm now going to pray a prayer of confession, and I'd ask you to join me quietly in your own heart, where we're going to ask for forgiveness for those unethical things that we've done that have damaged others, as bad as they are. And in a room this size, some of you would have done hideous things. And we're going to ask that God will forgive us and by His Spirit enable us to go forward living ethically because I'm concerned that some people have given up. I'm concerned that some people, in the light of how you've lived, have given up trying to love and act justly with others. And we're going to say we believe in a God of hope, a God of turnaround, a God of forgiveness and new life by his spirit. And we're going to embrace that now. Let's pray. Oh, our wonderful God, you're the life giver. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are here with us. You know us. Your spirit is the searcher of the depths. You know, Father, how we've taken advantage of others, how we have hurt others. Lord God, we've lived our ways and been so selfish. Father, would you please forgive us? Lord, we lift up to you all those things we've committed, those secret sins that no one knows about. Father, and we give them to you. Take them in the name of Jesus. We say that they are nailed to the cross and they are removed from us, Lord. And you see us as righteous and pure because of Jesus' death on our behalf. And Lord, we recognize that His death on our behalf is a sign of Your love for us. Father, help us to own and embrace the love You have for us. Spirit, heal us so that we might care about You and care about a relationship with You. Lord, we embrace Your promise that You're merciful and You will forgive. Begin a new life in us, Lord God. Work, heal. Heal us, Lord God, through your Spirit. Bring change and peace and help us to pursue righteousness and your kingdom. Lord God, we want to represent you. Father, enable us as individuals and a community to be salt, to be light. And may people know you and your life-giving love. Amen. Amen.